Chapter 9 of Chinook the Cinnamon Cup. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dick Bourgeois Doyle. Chinook the Cinnamon Cup by Alan Chaffee. Chapter 9 Rat Town. The village they were approaching looked like a toy Indian encampment, with its tiny teepees of sticks and trash. The inhabitants were not much larger than burrow mice. Were these mountain pack rats, so-called, who scurried about packing great armfuls of twigs and leaves to make their homes secure? Some of the teepees were built as high as Chinook's head when he stood on his hind legs, and he could have crawled inside had the doorways been large enough. How such tiny fellows could build so high he could not imagine till he saw half a dozen rats setting one stick in place with their squirrel-like paws. At the approach of the three bears, the sentinel mice, who had been sitting on their rooftops, promptly stapped a warning signal, and every rat in Rat Town scampered, terrified, into his tent. Hooray! Chinook exulted. Watch me catch them. You'll not find it so easy as you might think, his mother warned him. They have, none of them, lost the use of their hind legs, and indeed the three bears had a lively time of it before Mother Brown Bear had satisfied her keen mountain appetite. Still, it was a paradise for mousers. That same night, the ranger's boy was having his own experience with Oregon pack rats. The forest ranger, in his horseback trips through the mountains, found it convenient to have a shelter shack in the fir woods just beneath Lookout Peak. This time the boy had gone with his father, who had to find out how much timber up that way was ripe for cutting, for a lumber company wanted to buy some. For the first time that summer, they were to spend a couple of nights at the cabin. To their surprise, they found that a family of little pack rats had taken possession in their absence. The blankets were chewed and pieces torn off, presumably so that the rat babies would have a soft bed. The flower that the ranger had left in a bag, hung from the rafters so the porcupines couldn't reach it, had been spilled through a hole that the rats had chewed in one corner of the bag. For, unlike the prickly ones, the little rats had been able to run down the string as easily as so many circus acrobats. The lid had been lifted off the tea jar, and the tea had been sampled, though with no great relish, for most of it had been left untouched. Even as the boy entered the dusky doorway, he spied three of the most like gray rats, no larger than chipmunks, tugging with their hand-like paws at the lid of the molasses can, which appeared to fit too tightly for them to manage. The dusty paw marks up and down its sides told that they must have tried it many times. At the boy's laugh they ran, but they were bold and were soon back again, working away in the shadows that his candle lantern through. That night the boy, who slept in a bunk of fir boughs opposite his father's, was awakened by a great scuffling and scurrying over floor and roof, and once by angry squeaks and squeals. Another time something warm and furry, with toenails that tickled, ran across his forehead. A third time he was awakened by a resounding thump. It was one of his heavy hiking boots, which he had been advised to take to bed with him, for fear the rodents might have a relish for smoke-tanned moose hide smeared with neat's foot oil. 
They had evidently tugged at the heavy boot until they had hauled it over the edge of the bunk. The boy watched them with one eye half open to see what would happen next. With a huge sound of scraping over the split log floor, the three little rats dragged the boot to one corner of the cabin, and there tugged and panted in their effort to drag it into their hole. The boy, feeling assured that that was something they could never do, and knowing that they could never lift it to carry it away through the cabin window, and being in that optimistically drowsy state where one doesn't care much what happens anyway, allowed himself to fall asleep again. In the morning, he found the appropriated boot filled to the top with stores the little rats had sought to hide there. First, there was his soap which they had nibbled all around the edges with their pointed teeth. Next came a mixture of pine nuts, bits of the cold lunch the ranger had brought in his saddlebags and thrown in the cold fireplace, a button they had chewed from his sleeve, and a much-gnawed pencil. While the toe of the boot was stuffed with half a dozen burrs, which they evidently treasured, and with the fragments of the greasy paper in which they had brought their breakfast bacon. As for the bacon itself, that was nowhere to be seen, though a greasy paw-marked trail led up the side of the cabin wall and into a corner of the rafters. The tin in which they had stowed it for safekeeping had been uncovered and thoroughly decorated with tell-tale footprints. The ranger and his boy doubled with laughter. Pack rats are a pest, pronounced the ranger, when he found his own boots, still safe at the foot of his bunk, but nibbled all across the tops. I'll take you up to an abandoned mining camp some day, where the pack rats have taken possession of every cabin. With the doors and windows boarded up so that bears and bobcats can't get in, they live there, producing about four litters a year of perhaps four to a litter, till there must be thousands of them where nothing larger than a weasel can get at them to keep their numbers down. It's destroyed the balance of nature. Someday I'd like to find the time to clear them out, or there will soon be such millions that they will come migrating around the settlements, destroying crops and doing no end of damage. How are you going to clean them out, Dad? Going to take the Pied Piper along? laughed the boy. All I'll have to do, I imagine, is to destroy the old log cabins, because as soon as the hawks and owls, bears and bobcats, foxes and coyotes, and all the animals whose natural food they are can get at them, the balance will soon be restored. As for the Pied Piper, I don't know if these rats care for music, but thank goodness they aren't the common Norway disease-spreading rat of our city wharves. Trade rats, campers call these little fellows because they have a funny way of trading some of their trash for some of the food they salvage. There, just look at that. And he reached for the butter tin, which had also been raided. It was half full of bark. I suppose they think that kind of trade will square it with us. Well, they may relish bark for breakfast, sighed the boy, but I'd as soon have bacon and butter to go with these biscuits. Thank goodness I put the biscuit tin under a heavy weight last night. I thought I had placed the bacon there, too. You did, agreed the ranger, but not under a heavy enough weight. See, they lifted that hardwood stick right off. You wouldn't think they had the strength to, but I suppose it's teamwork. The brazen things howled the boy, convulsed with mirth, for one rat had just peeked over the edge of the table flinched a half-biscuit from his very plate and made off with it, and now sat with a fragment he had broken off, eating it, 
as he sat up squirrel-wise holding the biscuit in his paws. They really seemed more like squirrels than rats, thought the boy aloud. He was noticing that instead of the coarse hair and naked tails of the city rat, they had soft gray fur and snowy undersides with tails almost as thick as a ground squirrel's. They aren't real rats, agreed his father, but mice, in spite of the name. In some places they have taken to nesting in the treetops, and in some places they burrow. They nest in the branches overhanging swampy places and burrow in sandy plateaus. But up here in the higher altitudes, they either live among the rocks or build teepees of trash. Dad, do they store food for winter? Just like squirrels, and there's one thing they do that is rabbit-like. I've seen them drum an alarm on the ground with their heels when they have to send a warning signal a long distance. They sure are cunning rascals. Altogether too cute for me. I wouldn't mind an occasional half pound of bacon if only they wouldn't dig up the pine seeds that I plant in my reforesting nurseries. They are vegetarians mostly, aren't they? Yes, and down in San Luis Potosi, they sell them at the market stalls to be cooked like rabbits. Look out, is that your pocket knife that fellow is dragging across your bunk? The boy made a dash for his property. Can you beat it? But up in Rat Town... They were giving Chinook a merry chase. End of chapter 9